Hello and welcome to the Columbus Conservative Podcast. This is uh, going to be my first of hopefully many. Uh, it is Wednesday, October 17th, the day after the second presidential uh, debate. This was the town hall style moderated by Candy Crowley. And uh, first off, I just want to kind of go through uh, you know, the CNN poll here. Uh, 46% of the people they... Uh, question, which I think was around 500, uh, quote-unquote, undecided voters. Uh, 46% of those people who watched the debate said that the president won the showdown uh, compared to Romney's 39%. A slim margin, uh, and there's a margin of error of about uh, four and a half point percentage points. So uh, obviously that margin could be anywhere from 1% win to Obama etc. Um, so, you know, looking at looking at that, and I watched the debate last night, obviously, and as someone who obviously is a conservative, uh, hence the name of the show and, and my blog, um, you know, I try to watch these debates in a matter that um, I'm less skewed. I try. It's difficult, but I try. And it's difficult because of the lies uh, that are, are are spoken so often by the president. And we're going to get into that today. Um, I want to go through a couple topics uh, that I feel like either Romney missed the ball on or the president just straight out lied on. Now, if you look at the talk timer that CNN had up, I believe uh, President Obama ended with... Um, uh, either four or five minutes more than Romney. And I think if uh, you take that away and give them equal talking time, and if Candy Crowley would have allowed Mitt Romney to actually respond to some of the lies that Obama was saying, uh, that that, uh, that that poll would have been a little bit closer. And, uh, you know, you could tell there's times during the debate last night where the moderator uh, was clearly citing in one way. Uh, she corrected Mitt Romney uh, mid-debate, which I find completely unacceptable. Uh, as a moderator, you are not a pundit. You are there to moderate a debate. And in doing so, that does not mean that you get to interject uh, your own thoughts. It's up to the debaters to call each other out, and it's your responsibility as the moderator to make sure that they have the time and the ability to retort or uh, rebut, I should say, um, lies or accusations. And that wasn't done last night. So let's go ahead and, and take a look uh, at the different topics that were that were talked about in the debate. And uh, I want to start out first with Libya, because I feel like that was probably one of the biggest um, flops, uh, especially um, because of, of what Candy Crowley did and, and how that was handled. And I think Romney got a little flustered because he knew he was, he was outmatched and he was one against two in, in this setting. Uh, so I'm going to go to the transcript now. And uh, it starts off. Uh, this is Obama talking, and uh, he says, uh, and this was after uh, this was after Romney had already responded to the question. Uh, Obama got the first answer, and then Romney came back and, and answered uh, his way and attacked the president as well he should um, on the handling of the situation. Uh, and now this is Obama talking uh, after Candy Crowley kind of tried to 
make the president take a responsibility, but at the same time saying, we, you know, Hillary Clinton has already taken responsibility. Why are you taking the responsibility? So here's here's what he says here, um, because I think he's responding here to Romney's accusation that it took them 14 days to accurately describe this as a terrorist attack and a coordinated attack rather than a spontaneous demonstration because of some stupid YouTube video that nobody had watched. Um, So here's Obama. He says, quote, the day after the attack, Governor, I stood in the Rose Garden and I told the American people in the world that we are going to find out exactly what happened. He did say that. I continue, quote, that this was an act of terror, and I also said that we're going to hunt down those who committed this crime. Now, he continues on and, and addresses the question from Candy about um, about uh, Hillary Clinton and uh, the role and who should take responsibility, etc. Now, Candy Crowley comes back and allows Governor Romney to respond to that. And Romney comes out and pointedly asks... The question to the president of, you said in the Rose Garden the day after the attack, it was an act of terror. It was not a spontaneous demonstration. Is that what you're saying? Obama does not respond. He doesn't answer the question. Instead, he says, please proceed, governor. In which Romney says, I want to make sure we get that for the record because it took the president 14 days before he called the attack in Benghazi an act of terror. Obama says, get the transcript. And this is where Crowley comes in and interjects her own, her own thoughts and says, it, 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 he did in fact, sir. So let me, let me call it an act of terror. And Obama said, can you say that a little louder, Candy? (laughs) And this is where the crowd laughs and starts applauding the interjection of the moderator. Crowley says he he didn't he did call it an act of terror. It did as well take it did as well take two weeks or so for the whole idea there being a riot out there and this tape to come out. You are correct about that. Where she's talking to Romney about how it took them fourteen days to admit that there was in fact no demonstration that it was a coordinated attack. And I think Romney kind of stepped back at that point and said, "All right." I'm clearly outnumbered here. The audience is cheering against me because they are listening to these two buffoons spew um, a blatant lie. So Obama told Romney to get the transcript, and I have the transcript. I actually, as this was going on, went straight to the White House website and got the transcript uh, from that speech. Now, Going through the transcript, I I read the entire thing because I don't think I actually watched this speech when it originally happened. And this this took place on September 12th uh, at 2.43 in the Rose Garden. And it starts out, um, you know, greeting the people. And in the second uh, paragraph here, he says, Yesterday, four of these extraordinary Americans were killed in an attack uh, on our diplomatic post in Benghazi. Among those killed was our ambassador, Chris Stevens, as well as Foreign Service Officer Sean Smith. We are still notifying the families of the others who were killed. And today the American people stand united in holding the families of the four Americans in our thoughts and in our prayers. He continues, 
The United States condemns in the strongest terms this outrageous and shocking attack. We're working with the government of Libya to secure our diplomats. I've also directed my administration to increase our security at diplomatic posts around the world. And make no mistake, we will work with the Libyan government to bring justice the killers who attacked our people. Since our founding, the United States has been a nation that respects all faiths. This is still Obama talking. We reject all efforts to denigrate the religious beliefs of others. But there is absolutely no justification to this type of senseless violence. None. The world must stand together to unequivocally reject these brutal acts. Now, this portion of his speech uh, where he talks about uh, respecting all faiths and we reject all efforts to denigrate the religious beliefs of others, to direct quote, that is him talking to this video. Uh, because he and his administration immediately came out and apologized for this anti-Islamic uh, video that was on YouTube that apparently um, attacked the prophet Muhammad. They have continuously attacked the right of free speech uh, in America when it comes to this video because they are saying it's wrong. This guy... Uh, he has nothing to do with the government. You know, it, 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 it's not us. We didn't do that. You know, it's it, we're sorry. We're sorry. So he's talking about the video there. He's not talking about a, a terrorist attack. He's not talking about a coordinated attack. He's talking about the video in which they continuously led the American people to believe was the cause of a spontaneous demonstration of people outside the Libyan consulate in which people brought automatic weapons and rocket-propelled grenades. Because we all know when we spontaneously protest something, we just go to our gun cabinet and think, oh, I'm going to bring my RPG today. So moving on down farther in, further into the speech, uh, we we get to a point where he then starts talking about 9/11. And granted, this is this is a five-minute speech, and I think when he gets to this, we're about three minutes in. And he, here's Obama. Of course, yesterday was already a painful day for our nation as we marked the solemn memory of the 9/11 attacks. We mourned with the families who were lost on that day. I visited the graves of troops who made the ultimate sacrifice in Iraq and Afghanistan at the hallowed grounds of Arlington Cemetery and had the opportunity to say thank you and visit some of our wounded warriors at Walter Reed. And then last night, we learned the news of this attack in Benghazi. As Americans, let us never, ever forget that our freedom is only sustained because there are people who are willing to fight for it, to stand up for it, and in some cases lay down their lives for it. Our country is only as strong as the character of our people and the service of those both civilian and military who represent us around the globe. This is, he continues here, and this is where the, quote, act of terror comes in. He says, no acts of terror will ever shake the resolve of this great nation, alter that character, or eclipse the light of the values that we stand for. Today we mourn four more Americans who represent the very best of the United States of America. We will not waver in our commitment to see that justice is done for this terrible act, 
and make no mistake, justice will be done. But we also know that the lives of these Americans led, stand in stark contrast to those of their attackers. These four Americans stood up for freedom and human dignity. They should give every American great pride in the country that they served in the hope that our flag represents to people around the globe who also yearn to live in freedom and with dignity. Now, when he says no acts of terror will ever shake the resolve of this great nation, he is not specifically referring to the attack in Benghazi. Now, the left is going to say, well, that's what he meant. But it's rhetoric. It's not specifically saying these attacks in Benghazi on our consulate in which our ambassador was murdered was a terrorist act. It's not saying that this attack in Libya was an act of terror. He's compiling all the acts of terror in this statement, including 9-11-2001. Now, it's very important to understand that because throughout this speech, he doesn't address the cause of this. And we now know through the Senate hearings that at this time, they had enough information to know that this was not an organized demonstration, that it was, in fact, an act of terror. Yet, Earlier in the speech, they're talking about how this YouTube video denigrates the religious beliefs of someone else. So after the speech, or after the debate last night, Candy Crowley came out and and said, you know, I probably shouldn't have done that, but, uh, you know, the, the, the governor was correct in, in how it took the, the president and the administration 14 days before they admitted that this was not, in fact, a demonstration, but an act of terror. It, she said that after the debate, at which point most people had changed the channel to something not debate. Uh, it should have never happened, and I hope and I'm sure that the debate um, council or whoever sets, sets the debates up uh, will not be going back to Candy Crowley in the future. Um, a lot of people put down Jim Lair for his first his first debate moderation, and right now he's looking really good. He did a great job compared to these other people. Jim Lair let them talk. He you know he kind of let the format go a little bit, and yes, he was interrupted. But Candy Crowley was interrupted a lot last night, and there was a lot of talking over, and not a lot, not a whole lot got accomplished. And I think that's why the polls showed that this was a tie, um, more or less, uh, because a Obama got to speak a lot longer than Romney did. And in his extended speaking time, he got to say a lot of things that weren't true. And Candy Crowley didn't allow, um, Mitt Romney to address how untrue they were. Um, so going into now some, uh, some other, uh, falsities that were spewed here. Um, first, we're gonna we're gonna go into immigration uh, and the Arizona law, and I believe that was uh, Senate Bill 1070 in Arizona. Obama said um, during his portion uh, to talk about the question, which was regarding immigration, legal and, and illegal. Obama says um, about. Uh, Governor Romney, 
He says, he called the Arizona law a model for the nation. Part of the Arizona law said that law enforcement officers could stop folks because they suspected maybe they looked like they might be undocumented workers and check their papers. You know what? If my daughter or yours looks to somebody like they're not a citizen, I don't want, I don't want to empower somebody like that. Now, Obama, playing the race card here clearly, missed the actual law. Because nowhere in the law does it say that law enforcement officers could stop folks because they suspected maybe they looked like they might be undocumented workers. Doesn't say that at all. What it, a lot of the people against the law said is that it could lead to something like that. But the law says, and I'm quoting directly from Arizona Senate Bill 1070, Section B, for any lawful contact made by a law enforcement official or agency of this state or a county, city, town, or other political subdivision of this state where reasonable suspicion exists that the person is an alien who is unlawfully present in the United States, a re reasonable attempt shall be made, when practicable, to determine the immigration status of the person. The person's immigration status shall be verified with the federal government pursuant to 8 United States Code, Section 1373C. Now let me go back and read the, the beginning of that. Because I wanted to make sure that we read that entire section. Let's go back to the beginning and, 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 and read this. For any lawful contact made by a law enforcement official or agency, city, county, state, etc. For any lawful contact made by that law enforcement officer. That's the key. A lawful contact made by a law enforcement officer includes pulling someone over for speeding. Um, you know... Breaking and entering, arresting somebody for that, uh, pulling somebody over for a seatbelt violation. Those are lawful contacts made by law enforcement officials. Now, during the lawful contact, for any lawful contact, where reasonable suspicion exists during the contact. So, say I'm a police officer and I'm running radar on an Arizona highway somewhere. And this car comes speeding out 87 miles an hour in a 70 mile an hour zone. Okay? Speeding. 17 miles an hour over the speed limit. As I pull behind them, flip my lights on, I see, hey, this guy's also not wearing a seatbelt. There's another violation. Upon approaching the vehicle... I ask for driver's and driver's license and registration. I don't have a driver's license. Okay. Well, that's lawful contact as well. You're also breaking the law in that in that aspect. So we're going to take you in. And we're going to check you out. Why don't you have a driver's license? Do you have one on file? If you do, great. If you don't, well, we have a question now. Why don't you have a driver's license? You see... The police officer didn't pull this person over because they may have been Hispanic or, or uh, Asian or black. He pulled the person over because they were speeding. That was a lawful contact. 
Now, again, what a lot of people say is that this law could lead to racial profiling. It could lead to that. But then again, racial profiling exists everywhere, doesn't it? I mean, it doesn't it doesn't just happen in Arizona because of immigration. I mean, it happens all over the place. It shouldn't, but it does. So Obama says this law allows for people to get arrested or have their papers checked if they don't if they look like they could be an alien. And that's not true. Uh and, and Romney did a good job of of countering that and saying, I didn't say that I agreed with that, but he should have said, because that doesn't exist in the law. Uh but he did say he agreed in the e verify checking uh for uh for employers. And then, of course, Obama comes back. Well, the guy who wrote the law, he's the one advising Romney on immigration. Again, the guy who wrote the law didn't write the law to include racial profiling. Moving on. I'm getting, I'm getting worked up over that. Another question came up about fair pay for women. Uh, and I feel uh, – I was, I was so frustrated because I'm like – Come on, Romney, you've got a great statistic here that you could call the president on, but he didn't. He missed it, and I, I don't know if that was strategy or maybe he just didn't have this information. So let me uh, let me read a, a portion of an article from the Daily Mail, which is a, a British newspaper, about the Obama administration and how women are compensated. And this is from the Daily Mail. Using the 2011 annual report of White House staff salaries that was submitted to Congress – an $11,000 difference is clear between the median female employee salary and the median male employee salary. This news comes on top of continued criticism of both President Obama and prior presidents that women are underrepresented in the White House. Of the administration's 20 top earners who each took home a tidy $172,200 for their work in 2011, only six of those were women. Six, which if you do the math, that's three in ten. The hefty salaries of those six women are not the norm. However, as the median salary for women in the White House is $60,000, which is 18% less than their male peers whose median salary was $71,000. This is not the first time that a pay disparity has been present in Mr. Obama's White House as it started as soon as his time in office did. In 2009, women made 89 cents for every dollar that men made. I'm sorry, that men made in the People's House. On average, that came out to $9,390 less. So in 2009, the average was $9,390 less. In 2011, it's $11,000. Now the difference here, and, and this is mathematics and, and all kinds of crazy stuff that I once understood when I was in high school, and I actually liked math. But because I, I believe that one number took the median salary and the other one took the mean. Median mean, median mean. They mean different things. I'm not going to get into that. The bottom line is that Romney missed a key, um, a key opportunity here to hit the president on what he has done the last four years when it comes to equal pay for women. Now, I am a man, obviously. Uh, if you can't tell that, I apologize, and I should probably go see a speech pathologist to help lower my range a little bit, I guess. But 
I'm a man, and I feel very strongly that women deserve equal pay in the workplace if they have the equal experience and the equal, um, yeah, equal experience and skills to do the job. Then they should be paid the same. If they don't, just like a man, if a man doesn't have the equal experience and skills to perform a job as somebody who's already there, then they should not get paid the same. It's common sense. I, I don't know. So that was Obama and women. Um, now we've covered uh, Libya, the Arizona law, Obama and women. Now the auto bailout. Last weekend, President Obama gave a speech about um, about the auto industry and how he saved it, how he came came down from the clouds and saved and lifted up Detroit and and created a better place. Have you seen the stuff coming out of Detroit? The police department there, actually the police union, I should say, is putting out posters that say, Enter Detroit at your own risk. It is a war zone. Granted, this is the the union for the police department trying to, you know, make it seem, you know, we need to, they need to stop the cuts, which is, I mean, probably true. We want to, we want to protect the, the people of Detroit, but if they're cutting positions and stuff, well, you know, that's probably not the best thing. So let's go through a timeline of the auto bailout real quick, real, real fast here. So in, let's see here, I believe it was December, yeah, December 19th, 2008, the Treasury announces that it will make loans to General Motors and Chrysler to prevent bankruptcy, okay? December 19th, 2008. 2009, January 15th, 2009, a little over a month after the auto bailout was announced. The Senate voted to release the second half of the bailout funds. I apologize. That's that's separate. That's actually uh, <clears throat> that's part of the bank bailouts. Okay, December 19th, 2008. Auto bailout announced that they're going to make loans to General Motors and Chrysler to prevent bankruptcy. Then we continue down into March. Is it March of 2008? Or I'm sorry, 2009? April, April 2009, April 30th, 2009, Chrysler files for bankruptcy protection. And as part of their restructuring, the Treasury Department agrees to loan Chrysler up to $8 billion more. And the Treasury will get an 8% stake in the company. Move on now to June. June 1st, 2009, GM files for bankruptcy protection. As part of their restructuring, the U.S. government agrees to provide the company up to $30.1 billion more. In exchange, the U.S. will receive a 60% stake in the company when it emerges from bankruptcy. President Obama didn't bail out GM. It was the policies and the money set forth by the Bush administration that bailed out the auto the bailed out Detroit, if you will. Now, when Bush did this, a lot of conservatives, um, myself, I won't say included because I don't think I was really paying that much attention at that time. Uh, a lot of conservatives were against that. 
a lot of conservatives, Mitt Romney included, said we need to let these companies do this on their own. Bankruptcy, Chapter 11 bankruptcy, from what I understand, I'm not a banker. I'm not, I'm not claiming to be an expert on this at all. But from what I understand, Chapter 11 bankruptcy gives you the ability to restructure your company using your own guidelines, setting forth a plan to get back on your feet. By the American government stepping in and saying, you know, we're not going to let you do that. We're going we're gonna to give you money to help you out. That's where it was wrong. And the bailouts continued uh, as, as this um, you know, bankruptcy cycle uh, also continued. Now, do I think that GM and Chrysler could have gone into Chapter 11 bankruptcy, restructured themselves, and come back uh, as strong as they w- were at the time before the bankruptcy? I do. And I also feel very strongly that the unions that are involved in the auto industry and manufacturing industries in Detroit are what caused that ultimate bankruptcy. And the reason I feel that way is because these unions are constantly negotiating for more money, more money, more money. The people that work on these lines are getting paid a lot of money for what they do, and as as I'm sure they probably should. But they're constantly asking for more money for people who maybe don't really deserve it, who haven't had the the background or the history to be able to deserve that raise. Well, then these cars uh, either start costing more or the quality of the cars drops because they have to cut some somewhere so they can pay these employees. I don't think it has anything to do with the lack of cars being bought or the fact that these car companies from Japan uh, and Germany and and all that are, are coming in with better made cars. Well, they are coming in with better made cars. A Toyota vehicle uh, and a Honda vehicle. Now, granted, Hondas are made here in Ohio. A lot of their parts do come from Japan. But Toyota and Honda cars are much more reliable. My wife and I drive Hondas because her father works for uh, works for Honda, and he knows how to fix Hondas if, if anything ever goes wrong on them. Her car, when we got married, had over 250,000 miles on it and continued to be a very reliable car. Um, when we had our first, uh, when we had our son, uh, actually, I think before that, we kind of switched and moved up a couple years in model on it. But these cars are more reliable. Is it because that they take more time on developing them or put more effort into making them reliable? Probably, probably. I, I I've had American-made cars in the past. I, I think I had a, a couple Fords, and they had some issues. Now cars have issues, and th- and that's not really the point of this. But the point of this is the fact that. That Obama did not originate the GM bailout. So every time that he says, oh, I bailed out Detroit. No, you didn't. Bush did. You shouldn't have, but he did. But you kept making it worse. You kept pouring money in to these companies, uh, you know, taxpayer dollars into these companies. And what's happening? Well, GM's about to go bankrupt again. It's not working. These policies aren't working. And I, I think I think 
Romney did a good job on on trying to support himself on on his stand on Detroit. But uh, I think overall, the American people need to realize that it's not just Detroit. It's not just GM. It's these green energy jobs, this the cylindras out there that are they're dumping all of these taxpayer dollars into, and they we don't have that money. And it, what it really boils down to, the overall bottom line here, is that if you and your family try to survive on no budget, which this administration, <clears throat> excuse me, what this administration has done over the past four years, no budget. Your family will crumble. If you don't have a budget and you just spend willy-nilly on whatever you want to spend it on, you're going to lose everything. Because eventually, you're going to not be able to make that house payment. You're eventually not going to be able to make that car payment. And when you lose your house, you got to live out of your car. And when you can't make your car payment, you lose your car. When you lose your car, you can't work because you can't get there. That's what this president and his administration are doing to the American people. It can't stand. We can't survive four more years of this. We just can't do it. Look, I'm 26 years old. I started paying attention to politics probably, probably about five years ago when I really started paying attention to what was going on out there. And I really think that my generation is starting to listen more. Granted, a lot of my generation was involved in in Occupy Wall Street, and maybe you're listening to the wrong people, but we're listening. And we know that when we're being lied to. And I hope and I pray that as we move into November that my generation— and the new generation that's coming in and voting for the first time, don't do what happened in 2008 and vote for somebody because it's cool or because it's different. Actually, I do want people to vote for somebody because it's different, and I want them to vote for Mitt Romney because he's different. He's not Obama. He doesn't have these socialist and Marxist policies. He doesn't want to spread the wealth around. Here's here's the thing. Last night's debate, the VP debate, and the first debate are examples of how Mitt Romney has a grasp on what to do to get America back on track. President Obama in 2008 made promises to get America back on track. And he even said in his own words, if I don't have the economy turned around in, in three years, it's going to be a one-term proposition. It's time that we hold him to that. He failed miserably. He had the opportunity to make good on those promises. He had a Democratic-controlled Senate and House for his first two years, and instead of creating jobs and fixing the economy and lowering our deficit, what does he do? He makes it worse. He digs that hole deeper and pushes through health care. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. You know, you ha- obviously you had an agenda that you wanted to get this health care pushed through. But people were facing the largest tax increase in American history just over the horizon. 
Because if this president is allowed four more years of these failed policies, we're all going to be in a lot of trouble. Not just the middle class, everybody. I encourage you to go to my blog. It's uh, columbusconservative.wordpress.com. I'm working on getting a better and easier um, uh, (laughs) domain name. Sorry. But I need some sponsors. So if you know anybody out there who may be willing to um, help us out a little bit here, we're working on also getting some more contributors to help write for the blog. Um, And uh, we're we're looking to kind of build this a little bit. So if you know somebody who may be interested and and likes what I have to say and and the posts that I – that I have put up so far, have them get in touch with us. There's a contact us tab there. Uh, you can email us at cons- Columbus conservative at yahoo.com. Uh, again, visit our blog, take a look at some of the articles up there. I'm, I'm hoping to get some more up uh, in the coming days uh, about all this, but uh, visit us there and, and let me know what you think. You know, this is, again, this is the first time I've done this. I'm doing this solo. Uh, so let me know what you think, L- things that should change. Um, it's, et cetera. And I also urge you that uh, if you're a praying person, to pray. Um, I've decided this week that I'm going to kind of change a direction that I've uh, kind of become a part of and, and not not trusting God enough. And, uh, you know, I'm going to try one of these days uh, to fast for 24 hours and, and just pray. And I hope I can accomplish it because I like to eat and I don't like water. So it's going to be difficult, and if I'm focusing solely on reading my Bible and praying and drinking water, um, I have a feeling that I may get bored, and when I get bored, I like to eat, and I can't eat when I'm fasting. So it's going to be, it's going to be a very stressful day, I think, for my wife more than me, but because uh, she's going to have to put up with me. But uh, I thank you for listening uh, through all of this. Um, I apologize for the length. In fact, I'm not even watching. Uh, the timer on this. Oh, we're at about 38 minutes. So that's all right. It's that's not too bad. But again, thank you for listening. Uh, please leave me any feedback that you may have. And uh, so a little bit of news that I'd like to put out there. Uh, on November 3rd, uh, I just got word this morning that BBC Radio uh, from the UK uh, is going to have me on as a guest on November 3rd to talk about abortion and gay marriage and how those positions way uh, on the upcoming election. I look forward to that and uh, hopefully we'll be able to provide that audio uh, if, if and when it does happen. Again, I've been invited. I've accepted. Um, we'll, I will po- post something probably on the blog in the future uh, to go into more detail about if and when that is going to happen. So again, thank you. Visit the blog, columbusconservative.wordpress.com. I'm Derek Drake, the Columbus Conservative. Have a great day.